What's up, everybody? Welcome to your monthly installment for the public feed of Exhaust. For those of you that aren't aware or who might be coming to us for the first time, we have a Patreon, two extra episodes a month. We are currently moving through Francis Fukuyama's The End of History and The Last Man. But behind that paywall, there's also the entirety of Christopher Lash's The True and Only Heaven and Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue along with a bunch of other stuff. So if you're interested, go check that out in the show notes. Today, I'm excited to return the favor to my buddy Oliver Bateman, who had me on What's Left, I think a year or so ago, to talk about a news item and a topic that I don't know a lot about, but I've always been fascinated by because I'm an American who likes lifting weights, and that is pro wrestling, and specifically Vince McMahon, who has just left the wwe which i think caught everybody by surprise so what's up oliver thanks for joining us hey Emmett, glad to be on the show honestly i i thought that i was on this show last year and then i realized <laughs> you were on yeah so i'm i'm here and yeah vince mcmahon still the majority shareholder for wwe still an old man in his late 70s, but no longer the head of creative, no longer the company's uh, CEO. Allegedly in the uh, in the back, the shows have changed a little bit since he left. There's more wrestling on them. But it was something that I think if your listeners or people who are listening to this who were listening because I'm talking about it and they've, they've sort of followed the wrestling stuff for a while. I, I didn't think we would ever reach a point. I thought he would die in the office, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I figured he would go away, but it would be through death. <laughs> I didn't think after multiple scandals, you know, from the scandals of his subordinates in the 80s to a potential rape situation of his own with, with a ref, female referee to a steroid distribution trial, a federal indictment, to all of the deaths in the late 90s, all of the all of the reinventions, all of the scandal, like... just, just constant scandal. I, I honestly thought that he would make it but i i think it's interesting that i think it's interesting that he's gone he did he didn't make it he had to he had to go it was clearly the wall street journal the fact that it was investigating him and not like a gossip reporter like dave Meltzer sure. or one of the other wrestling reporters who you know have been saying we got to get rid of this guy for years and years but the wrestling press is very limited uh in terms of its impact beyond wrestling you know like criticizing wrestling is all it does you know it's sort of like sure, the yeah. the, le- the left press in that way you know where you just criticize people who are insufficiently leftist or something you don't really <laughs> you know or yeah. you do labor reporting without really understanding union dynamics or any or sure, like, sure, you know any yeah. any of that sort of stuff the wrestling press has that 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 sort of like lack of uh, general engagement with wrestling some of them are like you know local or indie wrestlers or have ties so it's gotten nerdier in that sense but yeah, yeah. at any rate it's the white's a big gun the wall street journal actually investigating the goings-on with vince mcmahon behind the scenes and what has gradually been uncovered is a picture of lots and lots of hush money payments to a variety of you know, female employees, wrestlers, talent that have thus far amounted to about 19 million in sort of like payments channel through the company. Because even though Vince is a billionaire, the money has been paid out by WWE. So they're having to revise the corporate reporting, the disclosures, (laughs) the two investors, I think back to like 2016 or something. Initially it looked like 14 million, then it was 19. And that's really what 
prompted the the resignation. Like they had to do some damage control on that. The other there are other details that that came out that are just more lurid, like the fact that McMahon was passed at least one of these employees on to his head of talent, John Laronitis, who's the brother of the dead road warrior animal, whose obituary mm. I wrote. And apparently John Laronitis then began carrying on a relationship wow. with her. And it seems like that might have been a pattern with those two men, at least according to the wrestling press, that that's speculation where John, would, aka Johnny Ace, that was his wrestling name, was picking up Vince's sloppy seconds in the form of them becoming like his assistants or something like that. Bruh. And this, yeah, it's truly a bra thing. And all like the, the case of the woman we do know about, I mean, you know, she was, she was getting promotions. Vince wanted to give her a raise, like double. She's making six figures. They wanted to double it to 200 grand at one point. All, all very, very bad stuff. I mean, from a corporate perspective, but also I, I guess part of me always thought that just like with the Trump organization, this level of, this level of confusion and disorganization was just how it operated, you know? Right. So that, I mean, that's sort of what I'm interested in with like Vince McMahon. New thing, you know, I sent you that clip from that Jim Shepard essay on yes. Scorsese's Goodfellas and yes. sort of what was going on with the Bush administration. And it's like, yeah, I'm lying to you. And yeah, you're going to take it because yeah, you kind of like that I'm powerful and willing to lie to you straight to your face. That was and, an entire, I mean, that's what built the company post steroid trial post Bret Hart screwdriver in 1997 into a billion dollar publicly traded company was Vince McMahon playing the character who says that yeah. on TV. So tell me about that. That was an interesting thing in your Washington examiner. It's, it's the strangest part of his story because in the eighties he builds the business and it's kind of interesting. There are a lot of similarities between him and Trump and not, not in the sense that I would explore them in any essay because people have done that really poorly, but Right. Uh, like yeah. there are similarities in the sense that like both of them rise in the 80s on the backs of sort of traditional methods. Like for Vince, it's buying up TV, putting mm -hmm. other companies out of business, buying talent, developing a product. And then also, you know, his wife had worked as a paralegal. Well, Linda had worked as a paralegal at an intellectual property firm back in, I think, the late 60s when they when they got out of East Carolina University. And the real innovation of Vince McMahon in the 80s is he begins trademarking the names of all the wrestlers he hires if he can. Ah, uh, it's the IP. So, and th really, WWE is an IP company. And that's what it becomes. It becomes an IP company that owns streaming rights. And that's, that ends up being what makes it worth billions of dollars. Like even the name John Cena is trademarked, the real name. The real name John Cena is trademarked by the WWE. <laughs> I wrote about that in the American Conservative. Like, he literally owns John Cena and any usage of that. Cena willingly did it as part of like a thank you for the break he got. Sure. Any usage of the name John Cena kicks a little bit back to the WWE every single time it's used. Imagine that. Like truly John Cena is owned. Like he is an, he is an owned man in that sense. But anyway, those are sort of the innovations that, that make the company successful in the 80s. Also integrating celebrities. So getting like people like Liberace and Billy Cindy Martin. Lopper, right? Cindy Lauper was the big one. The yeah. big, like it's what's amazing because I, I, like I forgot, I forget easily how popular she was. Like she was more You're popular huge. than Madonna at the time. Yeah. Like she was between the two. It seemed like Cindy Lauper would be the famous one longer because she's a better singer that whole album that uh, you know that that whole album that has you know she's so unusual Girls just want to have fun yeah all yeah. those hits on it it's nothing but hits 
Yeah. And I, I figured she'd have like a 20, 30 year career out of that, but it, it seems like she didn't age gracefully and Madonna, I guess, worked out at least. I wouldn't want to say yeah. age gracefully, but she certainly yeah. stayed fit uh, and, and Cindy Lauper kind of fell out. But in the, in the like 84, 85 period, McMahon is able to bring her. Well, it's really, you know, Captain Lou Albano, uh, the wrestling manager sitting on an airplane, this, this big fat former wrestler who's now a manager. And he bumps into Cindy Lauper and they get to talking about how they can do a storyline, maybe, if Vince goes for it. <laughs> kind of like what Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler did sure, in Memphis. yeah. Which has already yeah. been done. So that already had the big, like, 1980 push that had the Letterman show and all of well, the attention. Isn't it weird to think of Vince McMahon as, like, an inheritor of the Andy Kaufman yeah, tradition? He is. Like, well, not only yeah. is he an inheritor of that, the Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon character that we see in 1997 debuted in Memphis in 1993. He went down there to work for, or just to appear for Jerry Lawler, who had come into the WWE and was working there now as like a wrestler. And at some time, you know, doing the interview Kings interview segment, Kings court interview segment and stuff. Mm -hmm. He went down there as Mr. McMahon to play the evil Yankee, who was going to like send his boys down to beat up Jerry Lawler. Amazing. And, and so he practiced that voice and everything he would later do in Memphis. So in a sense, like Memphis and the sort of Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett, you know, Jerry Lawler promotion is, is really incubating all this stuff. They just don't have the capital to, to do anything with it. But right. this, this Albano Lopper idea is very much in the style of, you know, Kaufman Lawler and Albano and, and, Lopper present this to Vince. Vince sees this as a thing that they can start working through on stories. They can get it into to something. The, the crazy thing is that the main event is like the fabulous Moolah, who's like in her 50s already and barely mobile, wrestling <laughs> Wendy Richter. And this somehow gets like a crazy like 10 or 15 million viewers on MTV for wow. a one-off. Some ridiculous number for the time, a huge number for cable. And then they do a second one a year later with Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper as the main event. Piper has attacked Cindy Lauper at that point. Lou Albano is now a good guy. He's made up with Cindy sure. Lauper. They were yeah, they were at odds in the first one, and he and Mula were working against Cindy Lauper. But in the second one, Albano and Lauper and Hulk Hogan are all friends. And Amazing. Roddy Piper hates how – the second angle is even better because Roddy Piper hates how – Wrestling is becoming Hollywood, even though Piper would become a Hollywood guy. <laughs> yeah, later they on. live. Yeah, but he's very good. He's probably the best actor other than The Rock out of that that whole grouping. But anyway, he you know he condemns that, and they he fights Hogan over it, and that's actually a great angle, probably even better than the angle that builds into WrestleMania, where you have Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff taking on Mr. T was very popular at the time yeah, and you know, another right. guy that they bring in and hulk hogan but like hogan piper that leads to that that second mtv super show gets huge ratings and then it's just off to the races and so like when the first wrestlemania happens and it happens on closed circuit television not pay-per-view wrestlemania 2 is the first pay-per-view uh mm. like where you call your provider and they'll they'll turn on that particular channel wrestlemania 2 is actually the first one where they roll that out closed circuit uh, is is what is used for WrestleMania 1. But WrestleMania 1 fills the deck with all these celebrities. Bob Uecker, Liberace, Muhammad Ali is a special referee, even though he can't really referee 
Uh, oh at that God. point, they have to have Pat Patterson do the in-ring referee. Just like, and it's like looking back on it because I, I watched it a couple of years ago just to like look at it again. I'm like, Jesus, like why did Vince think that Liberace was going to resonate with the kids? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like, what's the and it, like subsequent ones are like that. They have a ton of these celebrities that I wouldn't think the kid were really into, but doesn't doesn't matter. That's that's what that's what's that's what they've got. So yeah, anyway, that's what they this, can get. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, kind of steamrolls and sort of, I guess, the high point of the celebrity era for the WWE, which is the WWF at that point. The high point of it is probably WrestleMania 11 when Lawrence Taylor main events, the New York Giants linebacker, retired, needing money because of his litigation problems. I think I think he did. He was doing time or did time for, for drugs or something like that. But he needs he needs money. So he main events against Bam Bam Bigelow. And they have a really good match. And that's probably the like peak that headlines WrestleMania before the attitude area. That's probably the peak celebrity thing that the WWE does. And it's a, it's a success, but around that time, Vince is running into like from probably 90 to 95, Vince is going from scandal to scandal. Like, you know, there's the steroid distribution trial where Vince is implicated in a ring doctor scandal. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, is he ordering or are, is he part distributing, the steroids, which are then provided to FC? wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know what? Like Japan did, does it right. Like don't yeah. ask. The Yakuza were like, Bob Sapp, it is in your contract yeah. to be yeah. juiced to the gills for the next yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. All the greats. I, I just love how they're all the, there's like all these greats over there who aren't great anywhere else. Like Mirko Krokop, really great in Ryzen and Pride. Mm-hmm. Like doesn't lose when he's really other than one or two times when he's fighting in Japan, everywhere else just gets his shit kicked a lot of times. But when you, but when you have him fighting in Japan does, does great. And it, that's a whole nother story, but even like because of the sort of drug testing regimes in different countries, even like go back and people should go back and watch the recent uh, Timothy Johnson, Fedor Emelianenko Bellator mm-hmm. fight in Russia. But Fedor comes in looking like he's 20 years younger. The pot belly's gone. He's got abs. And he knocks yeah. the guy, he knocks this guy out who's held his own against major UFC stars of the present in like two minutes. And yeah. the whole thing's just so fucking crooked. And it's like a legit brutal knockout. It's like Fedor turned the clock back 15 <laughs> years after being clobbered stateside by guys like Matt Mitrione, like you know, Fedor somehow yeah. finds this fountain of youth and knocks out a legit, <laughs> a legit badass. Yeah. So, yeah. So McMahon is getting yeah, basically getting, popped for all of this shit. He's got to change. The, the he's got to change the game. So they need to get smaller wrestlers in. No more Hulk Hogan's, who's part of this trial testifying. Yeah. Uh, having yeah. to admit he used there. They have to get like the Bret Hart's and the Shawn Michaels in there. They have to get the big fat guys in there, like Mabel or the tall guys like Kevin Nash. They have to get them. Yeah. You know, the Undertaker. The Undertaker is a big product of, of this mm-hmm. period. He's got a lot of height. He's athletic without being like super jacked or anything. Sure. Yeah. And so they're, they're, the product is being sort of changed around along those lines and muscle sold so much in the eighties. Like just if, as we're talking about McMahon, it's hard to understate. I mean, other than Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't think there's a person in the world more responsible for guys pumping iron than Vince McMahon. No, because and of just all to, the muscle men. And just to understand the culture at that time, like you said, it sold so well, like, you're in bodybuilding. You're yeah. looking at the dawn of the mass monster. Yeah. And I mean, this is prime real estate for Dorian Yates mm-hmm. and, you know, Ronnie Coleman, who are some of the biggest dudes to ever 
hold the Sandow. And and Vince is actually trying to buy his way into the bodybuilding world at the time that his steroid trial is starting. He's launching the World Bodybuilding Federation. And because, well, number one, because people won't watch a pro wrestling style presentation of posing, that was Vince's dream. Like, and it was really what he wanted to do. Like the wrestling was the ancillary product. The goal was to get to costumed posing. That's Almost amazing. certainly pure aesthetic. To get, yeah, to get the to get the wrestling out, which you know, while Vince ruled in his later years, you couldn't say wrestling; you had to say superstar. Yeah, you know, like Vince's whole. You can now say wrestler again. It was just said uh, this past uh, Raw. Uh, Drew McIntyre said he's a wrestler, and I was like, holy shit! Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm good at wrestling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that would that would really be a major thing. Like the announcers in particular, I'm supposed to say wrestler and the wrestlers are, it, it crept out occasionally over the years, but normally you're supposed to say superstar or sports entertainer or something along those lines. But I, anyway, love, I, heard the, that, I, I like, love the weird shit. elements of like nineties, like corporate, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you wearing enough flair office he, space type shit? He did that do Vince that. Like a man gets up to. Yeah. And there's kind of uh like, there's kind of a Trump hotel, Trump organization type thing to that too. It's these little picky <laughs> things that they're, they're really minding carefully. Uh, but, but yeah, Vince, Vince is switching the business around in 95, 96, 97. And he's getting his brains beaten out by the WCW, which people remember is on TNT and has a show on TBS as well. And it's owned by Ted Turner, Turner Broadcasting. Has a lot of money. Hulk Hogan's over there. A lot of the guys are, are being paid. Their their drug testing situation is uh, is unclear throughout the duration <laughs> of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, just as the WWF is testing in the late 90, mid to late 90s, but I not systematically. They have some kind of testing to, I guess, show probably yeah. the federal authorities or commissions right. or something. They call asked. you the week before. Yeah. There's something, yeah. And there are some people that get booted from the WBF in the mid nineties for, for juicing, but not major guys, but there are some people that get shut down over that or end up in the WCW to put that in perspective. Bob Sapp is being trained in the WCW in the power plant mm-hmm. when it closes. So there's clearly no, you know, the, the juicers are loose. I mean, Goldberg yeah. emerges from the power plant. You know, Sap sure, is training yeah. in there when it, and was getting poised to be like the next Goldberg before mm-hmm. it closes. And he goes over and moves into kickboxing and MMA. But at any rate, Vince has to compete with that, has to compete with this idea of like the invading new world order of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Mm-hmm. And what he's got is the fact that the entire wrestling community has begun to hate his product. They hate the fact that they know he picks the, he's just, he presents himself as the announcer. Very rarely is it disclosed he's the owner. You know, he's mm-hmm. the play-by-play guy all through the 80s, usually with Jesse Ventura uh, or later <laughs> yes. on the Macho King, Randy Savage, or, or one of yeah. those people. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon is someone else that he's in the box with. But it's it's one of those guys. So, like, there's a lot of fan resentment. And then when, when mm-hmm. it comes with that crazy title change happens where... Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels are wrestling in Canada for the November 97 Survivor Series. And, uh, you know, Vince orders the title change to happen in the middle of the match without allegedly without discussing it with Bret. Uh, and, and you know, Shawn has Bret in Bret's own finishing move to make it even worse. Um, sure, yeah. yeah. You know, and Bret leaves the ring, uh, upset, spits in McMahon's face. It just so happens there's a film crew making a documentary about Bret Hart at this event. Very strange. There's a lot of weird theories about this. 
uh, because Bret Hart was quitting the company anyway. McMahon couldn't pay him anymore, wanted out of their 25-year deal, 25-year contract they had. Wow. And Bret Hart goes back into the back, goes into the locker room, and Vince allegedly lets him punch him uh, in the jaw and knock him down, knock him out. There's a lot of debate about how hard that was or, you know, did Vince fight back or – I'm inclined to believe Vince probably just let him punch him. I'm you know? sure, yeah. Vince is pretty tough, pretty tough yeah. guy, and he's just – but I mean, Vince, by the way, like for the, the listeners, like Vince has been like as big as the wrestler since the 1980s. It's very yeah. strange to me as a kid, like yeah. why this man's like at first I was like, maybe this shirt just has shoulder pads like my mom suits. You no, know, like why is he big. so wide? Yeah, he's that big. He's kind of trying to wear like billowing things to cover it up. And he's like six one. So he's often larger than the men he's interviewing. Yeah. And it's it's pretty funny. But but at any rate, we left, that's never emphasized until this happens with Hart, you know, McMahon then then begins to start appearing in character as the bad guy he was when he was down in Memphis in 93, mm-hmm. you know, doing the Mr. McMahon character. And playing himself as the owner who gets inserted into the narrative yes. of the show. Who, as, as you said earlier, his character is, I do all this shit to the wrestling that you hate. I pick the winners that you dislike. Mm-hmm. I fire your favorites and you can't do anything about it. And you still watch me. Yeah. And and like they build, they use, they they use the emergence of Steve Austin, who's kind of coming on in the 96, 97 has a great feud with Bret Hart of his own. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, they use that like immediate aftermath of the Bret thing to pivot to McMahon, to McMahon and Austin beginning their like multi-year feud. And that's, that carries the company for like three years from 97 to 00. It lets, it allows for the introduction of Vince's kids as characters, Linda as a character. And it becomes uh, the attitude era. Like I remember, like when I was writing all these McMahon pieces, I was initially like, what I remember is the rock and Shawn Michaels, sure, and, yeah. you know, mankind, hell in the cell, you know, here in Pittsburgh, you know, mankind falls from the, you know, mm-hmm. the top of the cage, and like his tooth is busted out and stuff. Yeah. That's what I remember. But then looking back on it, even like playing through the network, you know, in the background while I was writing this, there's so much Vince on screen. Mm-hmm. Every storyline's running through Vince. Most of the feuds started because Vince on screen told this guy to fight this guy, or they're going through Vince's stable. And Vince is always screwing somebody and like... Well, and at one point, correct me if I'm wrong, there's this like bizarre storyline where in the middle of some of the WWE's actual labor disputes, there's a plot line about the creation of a wrestler's union. Yes. Where Vince fucks the guys who are trying to make the wrestler's union while the organization is actually doing that. Yes. One of the, one of the big, that was one of the, that was one of the like little plots, subplots. I mean, the, the whole censorship push also, led to him creating a right to censor group within the company that was oh fighting God. for censorship. And they were, they were made to be like these horrible Puritans mocked, beaten down, getting the crowd to boo them. The whole thing about the firings of people was also highlighted when he created a, a program where you would kiss his ass, literally kiss his bare cheeks on TV to keep your job. You know, William Regal's the first guy to pucker up and do it. I think there's like six or seven people that do it wow. overall. He at one point he kisses someone's ass too. This fat Samoan Rikishi. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, there's yeah. the poetic justice. Yeah, thing just that once has to though. Yeah. There are several people kissing his ass, but only one 
Uh, yeah. Only one time does he he end up kissing an ass. But there's all of this sort of stuff. Like there's so many firings. There's so much fake. Like there's multiple storylines. Like in addition to like wrestlers unions and wrestlers rights, there's multiple storylines starting with CM Punk's emergence in 2011, really as a main, he'd been there previously, but like as a main character, as the where the McMahon's where, yes, that's right. That's his initial, like straight edge cult leader is his initial thing. And it keeps him on, on screen and he wrestles good matches, but it doesn't move the needle until he begins bitching about WWE programming on WWE, which of course is like music to, WWE McMahon ears. <laughs> yeah, they're mainly, like great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mainly it's like Stephanie McMahon by this point. But Vince yeah. has his But it's like Kurt Cobain bitching about MTV on MTV yes. at that point. <laughs> and he uses the talent one after the other. So when CM Punk cycles through, they start Daniel Bryan's push, where Daniel Bryan is constantly losing matches because the McMahons want him to lose. But the fans mm-hmm. want him to win. So he has a yes movement as well. Like it's yeah. this constant fighting the authority that goes on from like 97 till basically la- like a couple weeks ago, you know, I mean, where so this is. I just want to inter- interrupt you here a little bit, because I think what's fascinating to me about this, because, you know, I've had Kat Dion, default friend, mutual friend yes. of ours, and Monia Ali, who's a great writer on issues of fandom and she like what i love about monia is she's so no no bullshit and like there was somebody was like some fan she's always commenting on fan stuff and somebody's just like isn't it so cool how harry styles and lizzo love each other so much that like he got her like a bouquet of flowers on her birthday or whatever and she was just like they have the same manager like oh yeah it's, so it's kayfabe yeah it's kayfabe stuff kayfabe yeah it's a media fake op. and yeah i think it's so fascinating to me how like wrestling is this avant-garde pioneer in american Mm -hmm. life like yeah brad trammell the artist i talked to him about it is doing a whole kayfabe serious kayfabe report yeah yeah he he and i talked about that extensively over instagram actually before he started doing that and it's good stuff and i i think that kate that point you're bringing up here is really wrestling is and he's using the kaufman thing which is what he was asking about he's using the kaufman thing as the genesis of that and really, it is in that sense. Like sure. it is that it is this avant-garde manipulation of audience expectations. And the amazing thing is, like within this kayfabe, like by, by even by eighty, right, or by seventy-five, wrestling's exposed like every five years. Like somebody does a reporter does a this is sure. fake fucking thing. They've been doing it since the the thirties. And even as late, even in the eighteen eighties and eighteen nineties, reporters were saying this shit's probably fixed because it would be so sure. easy to just lay down for somebody. So this is always coming out, but like. Even with this knowledge that it's predetermined in some way, the fans, like just with the Lizzo example you gave, the fans still get invested in the fact that, you know, like simulates, it simulates something for them. Yeah. And they really, it it absolutely does. Then the simulation, like truly, like the emotions are there, even if they know they're playing along on some even if they don't, you know what I mean? Like there's something. It it, it strangely, paradoxically heightens the intimacy because you're in on it too. You're a co-creator of this kayfabe moment that has, through this sort of simulation of real experience, heightened your emotional state, you know? So like you're, it's sort of like, it's like the QAnon thing, right? Where it's like, it's like a horror movie. You get to be scared out of your out of your mind in the same. Yeah, that's of your a good. Yeah, you know, and, like, and it's and it's it's a good. That's a good example too because 
again, like if you pulled aside and I had a few friends who were really deeply into like, they, you could talk to them rationally about it. And they would say, oh, that's not okay. Yeah, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And then the next day they were back into it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it has that same sort of wrestling has that same sort of thing. Like, oh, I know this is this. I know this is what's going on backstage. I know this is this. It's probably a work in the sense that mm-hmm. like they've predetermined what they're they're going to do. Yeah. He's probably just he's not actually criticizing the WWE. It's probably just going back and forth. You know, they're, they're probably all in on this together or that injury is probably fake. Or, you know, they're like, like, it's, it's hilarious. The WWE had a thing where they were doing a concussion angle for a while where people were pretending to be concussed and they were stopping matches due to concussions. And this is after the Chris Benoit murder suicide a couple years after when that settled down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That, that thing, actually, the Benoit thing is great because it stopped the storyline that started a week or two previous where Vince McMahon's car exploded, killing him. When that when the Benoit thing went down, they had to break that storyline immediately and have Vince come back out there alive and you know move on. Amazing. Yeah, fortunately they had some other weird shit coming down the line, like you know Bobby Lashley and and uh, Trump versus you, you know uh, Maga sure. and uh, all the research. I mean Dennis Rodman was up in this for a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, he like... had and he was he was the, he was a decent Rodman. And Carl Malone actually did an okay job in WCW. They were trained like DDP worked. Diamond Dallas Page worked with both of them. He's a great trainer and a great, like dedicated to the sport of wrestling wrestler guy. And he got good matches out of both. And they're, they're athletes. Like they were real athletes, just like Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor was a real athlete or Logan Paul right now. I was about to say, he was a fucking, he was a college wrestler. wrestler. I, I think at least high school. I, I know in like a state oh, okay. qualifier in Ohio. I don't even know. I think he went to college. He may yeah. have, but still, but like, I mean, very you're, high you're level, top tier high school in the Midwest, and beating, rule. and has picked up boxing, and is beating guys, and wrestled. But he wrestled the Miz at SummerSlam, and then at WrestleMania, and then SummerSlam. Or wrestled with the Miz at WrestleMania, and then like against him at SummerSlam when he was finally in that singles match at SummerSlam. He was better than 90% of the WWE roster. He yeah. looked better. He wrestled better. He did shit that people wouldn't do after 10 years. He did shit the Miz couldn't do. Yeah. And I was like, shit. But that's yeah. going back to that celebrity partnership thing that, like, that's what the Vince pioneered. No other promoter would have put given those guys that much rope. Right. But, like, WWE, even with Vince gone, is always going to use those people. Because if you put Bad Bunny, who's also a decent wrestler, they trained Bad Bunny the rapper into being yeah, a great. decent wrestler. Yeah. Like you get their million plus Instagram or YouTube or whatever followers for free and they Who get yours. already, by the way, because of the thing we were just talking about with like the Lizzo thing, they're, they're seated for oh, yeah. the simulation of fandom drama. Yeah. With both of those guys, particularly with Logan Paul, people know the WWE through him and they follow the storylines of Logan Paul going into the WWE and not the other way around. Right, exactly. He well, the other thing in. is, is like, Logan Paul and his brother, when they were young, were yep. doing those things where they were doing the fake diss tracks with their friends and their hype house to generate more chaos online to increase their views. You know, right. like that is pro wrestling. Like this is the way that our culture functions now because pro wrestling also operates around and this was the genius of vince mcmahon yeah. you know if you were to ask jeff schollenberger he would say like this is girardian media orchestration there's always somebody who's the scapegoat there's always somebody who's being forced out or popped back in 
And that that is really like the centrifugal element of all of this drama. You know, somebody's the heel, somebody's the baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Roland Barr essay, you know, that also deals with that. Like the world of wrestling deals with the clear symbols, which are people would say, oh, they're less clear now because of all the unravelings of kayfabe, like the clear signs of the villain and the, the hero and whatnot. I, I actually think the symbols are still there. They're Dang. just... They're just complicated by all these levels of of intertextualism and everything else that's that's happening with the WWE and what's happening in wrestling in general. And you are part of that. And so you're drawn into that. And you still experience the same emotions in the same ways, potentially, uh, unless the you're the same emotional clarity. Like, that's yeah. the thing. It's about your emotional clarity, not even yeah. the clarity of the plot or what's going on. So let's let me ask you a question, right? Because you said that. Van McMahon is this pioneer. These sort of celebrity partnerships are something he did. The IP thing is something that he did. There's yeah, a lot other of, people have done them first, but he did them bigger and better. Right. Like, with all of these things. That's Every, really everybody, his legacy. Yes. Yeah. Other people you know? had done, like Jim Crockett Promotions had already done a super show with Starcade. He did it better. You know, sure. like everything, everything, he took everything that everyone did and did it better. Right. Right. Exactly. So, What's the aftermath of his departure look like, both for the company and for wrestling itself? Well, I think it's interesting. And I think actually all of our conversation here leads into this because it's something I've been talking to with some fellow like wrestling writers and, you know, wrestling historians and stuff where we're seeing right now in the wrestling press or even the people that write the weekly recaps for Raw and SmackDown and NXT for Bleacher Report and stuff. Almost from the day that Vince left and Triple H was reported, you know, appointed as head of creative, even though he's only rehired a couple guys, even mm -hmm. though he's himself trained by Vince, even though the roster was built of these, like, it's currently full of ex-college athletes, ex-pro mm -hmm. athletes, muscle men, muscle women, all these sorts of things that Vince likes. There's, they're already saying, oh, it's so much better now. Like, it's clear that Triple H really understands these storylines and he's giving them room to breathe and everything makes sense and it all fits together better. When really, it's pretty much the same fucking matches in the same <laughs> way with maybe 10 minutes to five minutes more wrestling a show. Sure, It's the same big name stars the AJ Styles and the Shinsuke Nakamura's, the, the mm -hmm. Pat McAfee on commentary, who's this this huge former NFL player who's this huge podcaster that they brought in. That like that was a Vince McMahon thing. I mean, he wrestled Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. Like that, like because you know, Vince only goes out there with the biggest and the best. Like, so Vince got stunned by Steve Austin at this year's sure. WrestleMania, took his shirt off and wrestled Pat McAfee, who was guaranteed to go easy on him. And like they're both big names. All that shit, like. All that shit is, is just following the Vince playbook. The WWE is still following the Vince playbook. And it's crazy because all of the, like the ratings have gone up a little bit, like a top two raw top 2 million a week mm -hmm. ago. And I think it was like at 1.96 million the week that we're talking. So the, the ratings mm -hmm. have gone up. Some fans have returned. Fans are saying like these same writers are like, maybe AEW is a little worried that WWE is reaching out or maybe AEW's, which is the competing wrestling federation, the main mm -hmm. competing domestic wrestling federation for people that don't know. Um, like maybe all elite wrestling and, and the owner, Tony Khan are, are concerned and nothing about the state of play has fundamentally changed. But Vince McMahon, even in quitting, has created this storyline that his company <laughs> is fundamentally different when it's the shell of what he built 
and turned into this billion dollar behemoth. His own departure in that like abrupt way is yet another storyline that lets Triple H be the face to the heel Vince McMahon. And this was one I I had wanted to put out there, haven't put out there yet. So I'm just saying it here. I've been talking about it with my friends. And like Vince McMahon gets to quit and be the bad guy. And Triple H is like the fucking Gerald Ford or something, picking up the pieces, being the good the noble fan of wrestling who just wants wrestling on TV sure, and really is yeah. okay. If even the announcers say the word wrestler and, you know, doesn't have as many backstage segments and is killing some of the goofy segments and that sort of stuff. So if there's even a final storyline that's Vince related tied to that. Like, and that's actually something I, I with, with the Vince piece, not being out, if they ask for more revisions on it, I might work that in just because like the question of can you ever separate the WWE from Vince, which was the with the point of the piece, it's not out yet. Can you ever sure. separate it from Vince? The point of it, I don't I, I don't think that you can because even in his absence, the story is his lack of presence. Yeah. Right. That's another one of those ones that like Baudrillard or somebody would really like as a point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? One of those points that's like. You, you know, it's akin to like, you know, Watergate wasn't the scandal. The scandal was everything else. Watergate just focused your attention on sure, yeah, this one yeah. fucking moment in corruption. You know, that like that's the corruption. Here it's, you, you know, the Vince McMahon story continues. It's just that the good guy, Triple H, is running Vince McMahon, evil Vince McMahon's company. And you will believe because you want to believe like, you know, you're like, you're like Fox Mulder or something. You want to believe sure, uh, right. in, in whatever is going on. You want to believe Triple H. I mean, a man who fucking cut his teeth in the attitude era doing crotch chops with, you know, China as his <laughs> like muscle bound girlfriend before he dated uh, and married Stephanie McMahon dumped China's ass for that. Yeah, you know, the president's right. daughter. You, you think that he is somehow fundamentally different. This steroided up bodybuilder guy who's had so many pec tears and quad tears, just like Vince, by the way. Remember, sure, you might yeah. remember Vince ran to the ring and tore his quads, yeah, like running slowly to the ring. Like that's serious years of PED use. You know, and Triple H has like torn his quad in a match and finished, torn his pec in a match and wrestled 15 more minutes. That's like, but then, you know, like when you're, a, when you're a heavy steroid user, those tears are like, I, I interviewed that guy, Mark Bell, that developed a string shot. I've interviewed him on a couple yeah. of occasions. And he was all, every time I talked to him, he was always like, you just pack tears are just a thing, pack the life. You just keep getting them. One of them will eventually end your benching. Until then, use the slingshot. Well, it's so like, like they're thinking that Triple H is somehow fucking <laughs> different than Vince McMahon. When... He's he's as clear a protege as any, and he's benefiting from the ultimate storyline, which is the Triple H, who is absolutely despised in the Attitude Era as this backstage politician, click guy, friend of Shawn Michaels, always kissing ass to move up and down the car. Yeah, some sycophant. Yeah, like that was what his reputation. Now he is suddenly the hero of wrestling, loves wrestling you know purity protecting the purity of yeah he's an WWE. old saw he knows how it really is because yeah. he was there when vince was in charge like, and, and he's just waiting in the wings i mean dude yeah like, like like he was just gonna just piss on vince's legacy when the the match structure follows 
the Triple H match structure was tons of false finishes where there's a lot of kickouts, like, you know, sure. kickouts on two. Like Triple H matches have tons of those. But that was the style of the era that Vince liked because it popped it popped for TV and it popped for pay-per-view. And yeah. so that has continued. And like, it's actually probably picking up in recent weeks, lots and lots of pinfall attempts, lots and sure. lots of like a little excitement like that. And people are saying, well, that's Triple H. Well, no, even if it's Triple H, it was the style. It's of still Triple Vince McMahon, baby. Yeah, it was the style that Vince, he was wrestling for Vince. That's what he wanted. Like, so, okay. So let me, let me, let me ask you this. This is, this is sort of my like, because I was thinking about like, what am I going to ask Oliver, the king of content, the shadow of the internet? Yes. What am I going to ask him about, about wrestling <laughs> and, and all of this? And I was like, okay, so I'm glad you brought up that the way that people, and I'm not going to ask you to elaborate on this. I'm going to ask a different question, but the way that people have compared Vince to Trump mm -hmm. is usually in the most shallow, yes. cheap let me yes. just get the byline, yes, you know, and the yes. and, and the and the shares on Twitter, you know, like that's really what it's for. We both know uh, the industry, yeah, yeah, right. We're both in it. We know how it works. Like, what do people misunderstand about like wrestling and what it's doing when they when just like average civilians try to cover it at all? Well. I, I what think, do you think is missing from like how this gets talked about? I mean, I think on two levels, I did a piece for Pacific Standard back in 2016 at the time that everybody needed a wrestling and Trump take or wrestling and politics take. Sure. yeah. And instead of giving them that, you know, I interviewed some actual wrestlers and some, you know, professors of theater and other things like that were working on wrestling and, you know, some professors of marketing, uh, the industry I, I actually work in yeah like you'd uh, actually and, want to talk yeah. to the fucking industry yeah yeah so i what i what i concluded about wrestling what i argued there and what i would still argue here is that there's two things like wrestling is actually two things like one mm -hmm. is the performance of wrestling which is a physical like a physical thing and a style of training that has been developed and passed on over the past hundred years so it's really developed from the 1920s on in the kind of theatrical way that it has, but it's fundamentally a choreographed physical performance, mm -hmm. either heavily choreographed or called in the ring. Like, so on the one hand, there's the bodily performance that everybody watches and the bodies themselves uh, look a certain way. The bodies work together to make it look like they can do more than they can, or that they can do what their characters can, mm -hmm. you know, which are also themselves. So there's that part of it. The other part of it is people will say, Oh, wrestling is politics or Trump has made wrestling politics, you know, because Trump was involved in wrestling or he has that style sure, of yeah. it. When what is missed there is that wrestling is just part of the long American tradition of which comes from one side from the carnival and mm -hmm. comes from the other side from Madison Avenue ad men, which mm -hmm. is the combination, which is sales and marketing. Yeah. Right? So it's sales and marketing to red state America, to low class America, to the average consumer, to the kid, to the mental defective, who's really a key part of a wrestling audience. You know, these mm -hmm. all, all like people who are simple minded can appreciate wrestling. People who are people who are just like salt of the earth and want to see the evil boss get his comeuppance that he never sure. gets. Or what's her name? Julia Miller, who just won the ultimate fighter said that she originally wanted to be a oh, yeah, killer, Miller. Killer, killer Miller killer Miller because yeah 
her mom learned to speak English by watching wrestling because she didn't have to know she you, she didn't have to know any English to understand the plot. Yep. To go back to the Roland Bart piece, like the, yeah. the world of wrestling, the signs are really clear and yeah. in in the sport of in the sport of wrestling. So you you can, but the signs are clear because the the physical performance is done in a specific way. Yes. That, that it, every wrestler, even if they're the worst wrestler, is part of that long tradition when they step mm -hmm. in, you know, between the ropes. And on the other hand, like it is, it is a form in which sales and marketing and advertising have been really simplified and scaled down and made immediately apparent. So mm -hmm. you, it's almost like in the the carnival is the real predecessor of of, of wrestling, like mm -hmm. talking people into the tent, sure, talking people yeah. into the attraction, all the different features. Yeah, and wrestling was actually part of the carnival, right? Talking people into trying to wrestle the wrestler, who the carnival wrestler who was doing the athletic show there. Can you throw him? And half the time, the car the crowd would be fake, right? Like it'd be plants in the crowd, and that's who they'd pick. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, or or they would or they would pick someone who would give the guy a hard time to make it seem like he was weak. And then they would, then they would, you know, just have everybody else step up and try their luck. And they'd all just get one by one, like, you know, front chin locked or something mm -hmm. uh, laid on. And so, so wrestling is really those two things merged together, but wrestling in that sense then is, is part of this broader American tradition. Right. And so, you know, if you want to say, you know, Trump is wrestling, it's not really the case. Trump is a form of American sales and marketing he's he's part of that same direct tradition as well and so mm -hmm. they always would they would never give you that level of detail they would always they would always just want to jump right into like you know his cartoonish presentation or something when th there's a much bigger picture there so like to, to understand wrestling you have to understand those two specific strains and that like the strains the physical performance and the sales and marketing combine to create an incredibly clear consumer experience, a consumer mm -hmm. of content experience. It's clearer than any home shopping network. It's clearer than Alex Jones when he sells the pills, you know, sure, on the yeah. show. But that's part of that too. That's another thing. He sure, talks like he's a an outgrowth of that as well. Yeah, he talks yeah. like a pro wrestler. He could easily yeah. have been a pro wrestling manager. He probably would have made more money in it Dude, honestly I'm surprised, the he, I'm surprised nobody ever invited him into the ring for some yeah, sort of I think that he yeah. just became too... <clears throat> objectionable before he could have like he'd stayed 9-11 if he'd stayed 9-11 alex jones and grown that you know where like liberals yeah. were like this guy's kind of on to something if he <laughs> stayed 9-11 truth or alex jones yeah they could have put him right in the in the ring and had you know had him be somebody's manager and i i honestly do believe he could be a paul Heyman-esque manager in terms of just the quality and being able to be a spokesman instead he has to hawk those pills on his show so to pay the bills so there's this that I was thinking of, right? Like, because you and I were chatting the other day about Huck Finn. Yes. And there's the the fantastic characters in the middle half of the book that disappear towards the end of the King and the Duke. Yes, that's right. That's right? right. Who are actually just hustlers They're... that do the shitty plays that that's that's that tradition yes together that's the tradition and they eventually yes. get tarred and feathered and run out of yes. town because they run out of luck people see them coming but they swindle tons of people up and down the mississippi out of their money by putting on these fake performances and wrestling has always been a hustle and vince mcmahon's gamble and the fact that he's telling you in his character of mr mcmahon he's telling you over and over again he'll get away with it you censors are idiots unionizing is pointless 
I call the shots. I can fire you. Kiss my ass. I'm going to make, you know, Austin Theory a star. You all hate it. I'll make John Cena a star and you all hate it. Mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan will never be on top because he's too short. Uh-huh. And Punk is too skinny. You know, these types of things. Like, Vince McMahon won the money hustle. He won the muscle hustle. Like, he won. When that thing went public, mm-hmm. he won. And then when it went to streaming, and then when that streaming channel's rights sold, Mm-hmm. They were they were in like Flynn, like when the when the chant when the channel itself sold to Peacock, mm-hmm. and like the new Fox deal hit. Holy shit! Like that was what it was all for. It was a hustle, mm-hmm. just like those like those like itinerant fakes and frauds and medicine show men and whatever in nineteenth century America. Because Vince took looked at the wrestling landscape in nineteen eighty three eighty four that his dad had allowed to exist despite having the resources in their New York based operation to, to, to really compete nationally and said like, this is all small time fucking like fat beer belly night, mm-hmm. you know, Pola. He wanted the world fifties. It's like, this is bullshit. Like, and this is making money. Like people yeah. are paying to watch like the crusher and the bruiser in 1983 fucking AWA. And they're in their fifties. And they're these like fat, these fat guys in like mm-hmm. little, like fucking saggy underwear. Yeah. And Vince looked at that and was like, yeah, just this, we're going to, you know, and yes, he, he shrunk the business overall in terms of all of its regional things. Just like all those medicine show hustlers and shit are like, they're yeah, not just, just like Dana White with MMA. Yes. One guy had to do it. Yeah. And there were going to be, and the, like, there can be support, like supporting players like Scott Coker and Bellator or, uh, you know, rising in Japan or these. What's uh, that fucking Alaskan one. That's like doing it now. Well, there's, there, there's, a, it's that's right. Yeah. There's, a, there, there's, and the PFL is really great. Like the pro fight yeah. league does a really great job, but there's, there's competitors. And just like the WWE has, you know, it's competitors in AEW and MLW. Right. But they had to get swallowed Japan. first, right? Because it used to be yeah. King of the Cage. It used to be WEC. It used to be all these things. And the UFC gobbled all of it up. Which is a great and idea. Then it they, decentralized. Which is, a, which is a great idea. Like, UFC has gobbled up the broadcasting rights to a lot of those little regional yeah. things. And it puts it under Fight Pass so I can just watch all the fights from the month from, like, including hearing CM Punk on commentary. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's Dude, doing... you can watch, you can watch th- Muay Thai fights in Thailand on yeah. fight path it's pretty path. crazy it is, it is crazy and that content was so cheap to scoop up yeah like so that that thing is a work of genius too but like they both they both took a field that was totally messed up do you know just i mean in case of in case of combat it had to grow more but like in wrestling it was it was full grown and mature in 83 and vince just took it consolidated it gambled won dared people to fire him at any point along the way mm-hmm. i mean when he got nailed this time he had in production a documentary series with netflix that i believe has been shelved about his life and he was working on a prestige tv show about the steroid trials it was going to paint him as a hero that's also i don't know if that's been shelved or not yet but i don't think it's gonna I'll, go forward i think i think I think we can cap this off by saying that Vince McMahon is both the king and the duke. Yes. <laughs> that's how he would have that's how he would have wanted it. Yeah. You know, he yeah. he they they forced him out. He still gets the money. He's still the majority owner. He and won. And he's still the story. The story will always be about his lack of presence until 
maybe an entire generation has died and the wrestling demographic is aging along with the show. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's older men that watch this now. It's all of the, like everybody that watches wrestling. And I'll just say, this is the final thing. Like my buddy, Ian Douglas and I've talked about this a lot. Everybody that watches wrestling now, for the most part, there are young fans. Yes. But everybody that watches wrestling right now watches it so that they can say it ain't like it used to be. A very mm-hmm. high percentage. I remember when it was real wrestling, but everybody has a different year. Oh, 2004, Ruthless Aggression Era. That was wrestling. Batista, sure, yeah. you know, or like in my case, like Dino Bravo versus Don Morocco in 1988 SummerSlam. Now that was wrestling. Yeah. Or, you know, my brother, you know, would be like, oh, Superfly Snooker versus Don Morocco in the cage in 82. Now that was wrestling. And they all have that one thing they're calling back to. And that's what keeps them watching. And they'll never get it. And that's what Vince understood. Everybody wants something from wrestling and they think they know what it is. And Vince understood instinctively. And in like his last interview with Pat McAfee, which listeners should go on and listen to Pat McAfee's podcast, Vince goes on and says, I give them what I want. I don't read the wrestling press. Fuck them, basically. He's like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. He's like, he's like, I read Variety in the Hollywood Reporter. I don't yeah, know what this yeah. other stuff is. Like, and that's, that's, and that's what, that's basically what they're left with. Like even triple H is going to operate under that. Like they'll give him the benefit of the doubt for a long while because he's the hero now, but he too understands. And I'm sure that when the time comes, we'll have to deal with it. That every wrestling fan wants something other than what you're giving him. Every wrestling fan thinks he understands wrestling better than any wrestler or any promoter. Every wrestler wants to go back to that one event when they started becoming a fan. And they like none of them can be allowed to have it, lest the sport just fucking like alienate everyone else. So you have to be the bad guy to be the biggest wrestling promoter. You have to be an asshole. Dana White is kind of an asshole about things like fighter wages and stuff. He's like, fuck yeah. them. I'm not paying them a penny more. They make as much as they should. Boxes are like, overpaid. Hey, he's like, we give them great opportunities. Yeah. You That's know? what he says. We you give can them, start we an give only. Them the best start, he's yeah. like, hey, you want to go fight for Bellator? Go ahead. Yeah. Look at Felice Herrig. I mean, she turned a UFC career into a 50 grand a year OnlyFans and some other yeah. stuff. Or what's her name? <laughs> Megan, the she's the Aussie Anderson. woman who's. Uh, yeah, Anderson. Really yeah. T- yeah. Yeah. It's really tall. Yeah. Now she just does Twitch streaming. And yeah, she sure makes a shitload. Probably does does fine. Like Sean Sean O'Malley makes, I think, a couple grand a month. Like he makes like a good Patreon's worth of just playing yeah. video games. So I'm guessing she does. And she's doing some other stuff too. Like yeah, I think she has. She's she's doing commentary that. and some other things. So yeah. like they're all they're all set up. So no, they give them the opportunity. Like, but in a way, Dana White's attitude a little bit different. But it's still that kind of fuck you because it everybody else be. thinks they know what they want for the fighters. I know they need a fighters union. Man, those fucking people don't want a union. They're like the most libertarian people I've ever interviewed. They don't even want, want a, a union. They would literally shoot their opponent to get his fight purse. Like yeah, oh, people like, people that think that there's going to be this fighters union do not understand. Maybe that's a conversation that's going to flare up. Yes, it, I guarantee you. Every like six to eight months, there's a whole thing about a fighters union. When it happens. You'll have to come oh, back on the wrestling. The one uh, your listeners will love this. The wrestling union guy, David Starr, who would mm-hmm. constantly be in Vice every year for like his idea. He was an indie wrestler, never signed by WWE, of course. But sure. David Starr was going to start a wrestlers union, and every so often, an editor would pitch me and say, "Do you want to interview this guy?" One of the few things I'm on record for saying is that wrestling will never be unionized. It yeah. just will never happen. Fighting will never be unionized. No, I mean, yeah, great, great idea. But like the one chance it had was when Jesse Ventura was trying to unionize it in the 80s and that failed. 
That was the one moment when they had some leverage. They could have held up some events. It might not have worked. Never going to happen now. Doesn't matter. But they would want this profile of David Starr. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But now when I talk to sort of my like, you know, liberal, normal friends, I'm like, you know what? I'm so glad I never covered David Starr because you know what? He turned out to be a sex pest. He got me too. <laughs> like I knew there was something wrong with that there guy. What I knew, what I knew was smell right. <laughs> what I knew was wrong with him was he was just pushing this thing that couldn't happen as his brand. I was going to be the wrestling union guy who would never create a wrestling union. Well, and I mean, I think okay, so we'll so we'll end it on this. Yes, that is that is one of the most leftist things you can do. Yes, it's so. the best. Pure horizon, <laughs> just nothing but horizons. Nothing but horizons. And then you so. turn out to be a sex pest, and just like Emmett Renton or somebody, they cancel you. And yeah, you disappear exactly. forever. Dan, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Okay. Yes, Oliver. it's your name. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for awesome. joining me. This was a blast. I hope we could do it again. Everybody. Yes. I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're familiar with what's left, but all of Oliver's stuff is in the show notes. Go check it out and stay safe out there. We will see you next time.